0: I can enjoy <laughs> There's a thing, if you listen at all to national public radio in the States, called the driveway moment. It's a kind of outdated notion. Of course, people still listen to NPR as they drive in their cars, and it refers to getting caught up in a particularly interesting interview or story, to the point where, having just pulled into your driveway, you won't be able to turn off the radio and go inside. You sit and listen until the thing is done. I call this outdated because my own experience with NPR has never had anything to do with driving in a car. Though I grew up pretty close to the American border, we didn't pick up any NPR stations, so it was only when I moved to New York City in 2002 that I discovered WNYC. And Not having a computer or a TV of my own then, I listened to a lot of blessedly intelligent talk radio. It was where I first heard Leonard Lopate and Brian Lehrer. Terry Gross on Fresh Air, Kurt Anderson on Studio 360, and Ira Glass on This American Life. When I returned to Canada a few years later I came equipped with an iPod and soon had it loaded with podcasts of all kinds to accompany me as I walked or biked or rode the transit system of the big city. I was delighted to return to NPR this way and especially to be able to schedule the listening on my own terms listen when I want, skip the topics that don't interest me. This is the dream we were only getting a taste of 30 years ago, when VCRs and the Walkman were becoming common. When my wife and I drive in the States now, we use my phone's NPR Station Finder app, and though we can't control what they're broadcasting, it's still a minor thrill to listen in real time again and hear the theme music to All Things Considered, or the news. But there's no going back. NPR struggles to find an audience and bring in revenue, like other networks on radio or TV, like the music industry does, and the newspaper industry. But, the driveway moment. In 1981, there was a show on one of our Montreal AM radio stations, CJAD 800 AM, my dad and I loved. The Continuing Adventures of John Locke, Private Eye. It played like an old-time radio show, a spoof on pulp and film noir detectives like Philip Marlowe, Sam Spade, and Mike Hammer. It was produced in Montreal and aired in something like 15-minute segments, an unheard-of thing on commercial radio now or then. I was well into my love of old movies, which I shared often with my dad, and we dug any send-up. Leslie Nielsen in Police Squad came very close to doing for the Dragnet-style TV cop show what John Locke did on the radio. Anyway, the angry lemon light was bouncing off the cold gray streets as I opened my eyes. I should have known better than to pull a stupid stunt like that. It must have been some party I'd been at. For one thing, I was wearing my pants on my head. For another, my temples were throbbing like Hindu gongs, a large size. And there were tank tracks across the back of my new green seersucker suit. Another clue was the way my hands were tied behind my back. I guess Flossie must have been there. To top things off, my mouth tasted like the floor of the Baltimore Zoo. Hey, buddy, get out of that elephant cage! I have to sweep up in there. Well, there was one mystery solved, but the pain of it, or was it the magic? was there was no VCR or DVR or PVR for radio. We had to check the entertainment section of the newspaper and look up the radio listings. Look, I know this makes me sound like Grandpa Simpson talking about wearing an onion on your belt because that was the style then, but it's true. It was only, what, 34 years ago? The changes have been exponential. Anyway, we made sure to be near a radio when this show was on. And at least once I remember coming back from visiting my dad's sister and her family across the river in Iberville. A winter night, we probably stopped at Shea Mickey for a couple of steamed hot dogs before crossing the old bridge. And we sat in the driveway chuckling like goons, calling each other commish after the show. My dad convinced me to call the station and see if we couldn't get a copy of the show on cassette, as we'd missed a few episodes. Whomever I spoke to at the station was kind enough to give me the name of one of the guys who created the show and suggested I send in a blank tape. I did, and a couple of weeks later received my cassette back, and a note from Glenn Davis, who with Phil Bedard and Larry Lalonde was responsible for this nutty thing that I loved. Today I can usually take what I want from the Internet. Sometimes one pays for the privilege, sometimes one doesn't, but back then... This guy had to pop a tape into a deck for me, record the show he'd probably heard way too often in real time, and then type up a letter and throw it all in an envelope to mail to me. Even then, I thought this was extremely nice. Three decades later, it feels like an impossibility. John Locke would win an actor award for Glenn and Phil and Larry, and the latter two eventually moved on to write and produce for a host of TV shows, Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, Forever Night, Due South, John Woo's Once a Thief, The Murdoch Mysteries. They're running a new show now, shot in Manitoba, called The Pinkertons. One of many, many period shows, shot in Canada, that may or may not be any good, and may or may not last. Hey, Murdoch is into season 8. Copper didn't make it past season 2. Who can say? But I remain grateful to them and the characters they created out of the air for laughs provided in the dead of winter. One old article I read about them said they met in 1973 after having seen Monty Python's Flying Circus live and soon followed their own path as a result. There's no way the continuing adventures of John Locke, Private Eye, isn't a little responsible for where I am today. Pretty much, episode 51, John Locke, Private Eye. Written and read by Scott Clarkson. Music by Garner Fire.